My name is Katza Becker and I host this podcast at the University of Edinburgh for the Film Studies Department in the School of Literatures, Languages and Cultures. In this episode, we take a deep dive into film noirs with Dr. Pasquale Iannone, who is the Senior Teaching Fellow in Film Studies here at the University. Whether you are familiar with film noirs or not, we hope you will find at least one film to watch out for and enjoy in your free time. Hi Pasquale, how are you doing? Hi Kat, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. I think we had you last time, well, it must have been two years ago I think at this point. Goodness, was it that long? Yes, I remember I so. it, was, it was one of the annual roundups. Yeah. I think we did it with, with David. With David. We? So it was Best yeah. Films of 2019 I think. So right. It must have been, right. <laughs> must have been yeah. two years ago. So today we're talking about film noirs and um before we get into that, I just want to give a bit of an introduction of you, and you can obviously add to that, but from what I've seen online and from what you have on your LinkedIn profile and on the university website, so you're a film academic, you're a lecturer, you're a critic, you're a broadcaster, and uh, you have worked with Sight and Sound, Senses of Cinema, BFI, Southbank, Filmhouse, BBC, Radio 4, and you're obviously currently the Senior Teaching Fellow in Film Studies at the University of Edinburgh. And then uh, some of your specialties, Italian and French cinema, colour, sound and music in cinema. And then we yeah. have uh, American cinema of the 1970s, widescreen aesthetics, and the list goes on. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's, it, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge scope. Would you like um, to add anything to that? Anything that you're currently working on, maybe? I've been working on this uh, monograph on Army of Shadows, um, L'Ami des Ombres, which is a French resistance thriller from the late 1960s, 1969. So I have been working, trying to work on that for quite a while. And yeah, testing the publisher's patience, no doubt. I did this thing for the Edinburgh Film Festival last year. It was an interview with the Dardenne brothers. <clears throat> and that was, that was quite good. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, a bit nerve wracking, but I think we just about managed. I mean, it's online. It's on. It's on YouTube. Uh, I've not looked back. I never. I never looked back at my stuff. <laughs> well, as part of our Edinburgh film seminar series, so we've got these two series of events um, that film studies here run, and I run it together with my colleague Dr. Chiara Quaranta. And, uh, we invite uh, both scholars, but also figures in film and TV, writers, directors, etc. So there's two different strands. The Edinburgh Film Seminar is more for academics to give, to give papers, whereas the other one, the Edinburgh Screen Conversations, is more for, uh, for writers, directors, and people from the industry. And so I was really, really chuffed to get uh, the wonderful Carol Morley, uh, the British writer-director, I think one of the top-tier filmmakers working at the moment. And she... Talk to, talk to me about her career, her future projects, and... Um, Where do you advertise these things? I mean, I see it just because I follow you, you know, we, we're kind of connected through the university. Well, yes, so we advertise it on the website, uh, the, the university website, and then we advertise it on Facebook, um, and there's a link to Eventbrite, so Twitter as well, um, so, you know, most of the channels. Mm, yeah. uh, not Instagram, but most, most of the channels. 
Okay, let's move on to film noirs. And what I would like to start with is maybe <laughs> give you a bit of an abstract question. And yeah. um, before we kind of <clears throat> get into the nitty gritty of what they are and what they look like, are there any specific associations that you have with, if someone says film noir, what is it that comes to your mind? And if you can maybe try and dissociate from being a, a film academic for you personally, what do you, what kind of springs to mind when someone says film noir? Yeah, well, I was, I was thinking about this and actually uh, our first memories of these types of films goes back to um, the TV strand called Movie Drome uh, back in the 90s. It was on BBC Two here in the UK and it was hosted by Alex Cox and then Mark Cousins, or maybe the other way around. But anyway, they both hosted. And they would, they would screen uh, some really obscure classic films, uh, but also some more recent ones as well. And that was, I think that for me, and I'm sure for many others as well, I mean, it was really conformative. And it was the only place that you could see slightly offbeat, off-kilter uh, films. And that was where I first saw some, some of these noir films. And I'm thinking of things like Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker, which mm. I'm sure we'll talk about, um, The Big Combo, uh, brute force, you know, these titles. And yeah, I mean, if we had to define what it is, so when we think about noir, what, what is it? What comes to mind? Uh, well, crime films. So they're usually not all, not exclusively about crime, but usually crime films, uh, black and white, again, not exclusively black and white. There are uh, colored wars as well, uh, but usually black and white, high contrast, black and white. Uh, deep, deep blacks, uh, really fatalistic mood. Uh, so, you know, not much humor in these, in these films. Uh, you have, yeah, I mean, things like trench coats. You have lots of smoke, lots of fog, city streets. But again, <laughs> not all noirs are set in an urban context, but we do tend to think of uh, noir as a, as a city-based uh, genre. But again, if you think of, that term i mean is it a genre is it a cycle you know what 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 is it and and scholars have debated this endlessly uh, <laughs> over the years isn't it yeah i mean and but most of them are are quite they're quite tough i mean quite tough talking they're quite hard-edged uh both in terms of violence um sexuality as well but the yeah, discussion on genres that's what it is i mean people you know, you don't want to get too bogged down and saying, "Oh, well, it's not got, you know, the, the, the fog, so it's not noir." <laughs> you know, what, for me, it has to have a shot in an, in some sort of office with those blinds where you see the light coming with through. With the blinds, <laughs> yeah. that's right. With the shadow, you know, yeah. casting these these incredible shadows. And actually, uh, I think one of the great examples of of that is not actually from a a noir film. Is actually from. Bernardo Bertolucci's film, The Conformist, which I don't know if you've seen uh, from the early 70s. And that's kind of, so it's, it's, it's from the 70s, but it's set in the 1930s. The, there's a shot in, it's, it's the interior shot of this apartment. And it's totally, I mean, you could tell it, it's, it's so steeped in, in noir, but not, not necessarily just noir cinema, but I think noir is, is a strong, strong, uh, influence on uh, on Bertolucci's film, and, and he was a big cinephile, uh, undoubtedly. And um, mm. 
if we're talking about the American noirs of the 1940s and 50s, there was still an amount of, they were still restricted in terms of what they could do, what they could show uh, because of the, of, of the Hayes Code. Uh, but then after that, and then you do see that in some later neo-noir films when, where you have the shackles coming off and you know, there is more explicit uh, violence and sexuality. And these types of films, they, they often deal with uh, corruption in all different forms. Corruption, murder, betrayal. Betrayal comes up a lot. Um, revenge. I mean, the amount of revenge. I, I was just looking at some of the some, some of my favorite noirs. Uh, so many revenge thrillers. Um, and of course, you know, the dark side of of life, of, of sexuality, etc. They're often quite cruel. I mean, that's something else that, that you tend to forget that a lot of the, and even the classic ones, you know, from the 40s and 50s are, are, can be quite, quite cruel. Uh, quite adult films, aren't they, in that sense? Yes, certainly. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it is funny though how with any genre like this that has such a strong strong image and the iconography is so strong that it is obviously ripe for parody you know and so you do have you know films that that riff on it on uh on some of these noir tropes and uh, you know there's several kind of noir pastiches over the years uh whether it's Stephen Freer's gumshoe for instance but yeah I mean with a with a genre that's this rich and a genre that uh, you're always discovering new titles. And that's the thing, you know, you, I don't think you can ever, no matter how big a fan you are of, of the genre, it just seems to me that there are always new ones to discover. What it reminds me of when I was thinking about, what, when I was writing down that question for you, I was just thinking, what, what do I have, what kind of images come to my mind? And I was just thinking that to me, I think when I used to think of film noirs, when I was a young girl, that like, mm -hmm. Film noirs were the only thing I knew about old Hollywood, the kind of classical era. And what I what came to mind was this kind of just dark black and white films. The kind of for some reason this very specifically like an echo of Boots walking on the on the street that's completely ah, empty, but it's right. been rained on. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things. And then I think it's also for some reason I wrote this down and I don't know. I, I, tell me if this if you think this is true. I feel like film noirs are even kind of represented in Hollywood films as something very niche and kind of only accessible to cinephiles and film fans and that just somehow unwatchable um, for, by the general audience. I just have this image of thinking of noirs as this inaccessible type of film. I, th I think that one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about film noirs is because no one seems to be talking about them <laughs> these days. And mm. especially they're not something that you see in the cinema on a regular basis. Um, and I wonder, I mean, from your perspective as a lecturer, you know, you, you, you come in contact with students. Um, so what is the feedback that you're getting from students? Are they quite popular genre or style of films or students want to avoid them most of the time what is the do you know i had a i had to think about this you know when 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 you said that that you thought that noir was not as popular as, as it was and you've got a point however if you were to have a look at some of the you know some of the main boutique uh blu-ray and dvd labels so 
places like um, Eureka, Massive Cinema, Indicator, uh, even BFI, you know, the, these kind of boutique you know, physical media, they are still producing, you know, releasing noir movies. You know, for instance, Indicator are, have released a few box sets of Columbia noir, and they brought together, uh, I think, five or six per box. Uh, and quite, quite obscure. I mean, these are not big canonical films. Yeah, so I mean, it's still, I think it's still very much in, in the air. I think in terms of modern, modern audiences and, and our students, for instance, like last year, so last year I had one student do something on, on noir, uh, but the student was looking, so she was looking at uh, TV. And I think this is quite important you know, to, to think about how film noir has kind of shifted and perhaps moved uh, and it's perhaps more prominent on television. Than it, is in, than it is in cinema. And, and she was looking in particular at Scandi Noir. And obviously, you know, Scandi Noir, you know, just after the 2000s, it was huge. And I suppose still to a degree, it, it doesn't seem to be, have quite the, the massive popularity it had, but uh, there are plenty of, of noir, noir-esque uh, TV shows, TV series. You know, I mean, just one comes to mind is True Detective, for instance. Uh, so that's very clearly. Um, but a I, I think Nicholas Winding Refn also did a, a, a noir esque series for for Amazon Prime. Uh, what was it called? Too old to die young. Is that what it was called? Too old to die young. So yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's still, I think, still very much in the air. Uh, but yeah, we're not seeing a lot of of students. Uh, want to do it in fact actually i actually got um uh, an inquiry from a student that, that was thinking of doing something this year so we might get something this year as well who knows uh yeah i can understand what you're saying to a degree actually because um uh yeah it it, it feels as if it felt at that at that time and when, when they when they were coming out that um when they came out when they came out in the 40s you know the the mid 40s you had this this period where uh, the um, the arrived in France. So the after the the liberation, uh, a lot of these noirs arrived in France for the first time, and so this glut of noir films <laughs> landed on French shores, and they just gobbled, gobbled them up, and they were profoundly influential on on French on French cinema, and this whole exchange between Hollywood and France and I suppose you could even put it slightly broad more broadly in, in Europe but I mean certainly I think France and and the US there has been this constant exchange in terms of these types of uh, aesthetics because the term noir was first used not in relation to US film but in relation to French cinema and in relation to French film of the 1930s and these types of, of movies, poetic, the so-called poetic realist films. Uh, and this is what comes up quite a lot in, in the discussions of noir. Uh, Paul Schrader, the, the, the director and critic and theorist, has also said this, that, that noir kind of straddles realism and expressionism. Like it's one of these genres that straddles both, uh, tilted usually towards expressionism. Uh, but 
a, a, um, a cycle like the poetic realist films in France in the 1930s, um, they were really the, the progenitors of American noir. Um, so I'm talking about films like Pepe Le Moco. It's a, a, a film with Jean Gabin, who was a very famous French film star and, and really one of the, the great uh, French actors of all time. And he, he played this uh, thief, uh, the eponymous thief, hiding out in the Casbah. And this film, for, this film from 1936 by Julien Duvivier. Uh, and it was a very romantic image, but still quite tough as well. A very kind of marriage he, he, um, he gave off uh, Gabin. And a real working class hero, diamond in the rough type. Uh, often very troubled. And, you know, noir characters men and women, but the men in particular are often very troubled. <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, Gabin getting embroiled in various uh, doomed affairs. And there's, um, there's a, a couple of films that he made with uh, another director called Marcel Carney in, towards the tail end of the 1930s. So this is when war was on the horizon. And you could see the films getting more and more bleak and more and more fatalistic as the, as the, as it became clear that the, the war was going to happen. And these two films, Port of Shadows in 1938 and Daybreak or Le Jour Se Lève um, from 1939, both with Gabin. Uh, these are really important French movies of the, of the late, of the 1930s. Um, you could totally see how they went on to, to influence the, the American noir. So I think these films, you know, Pepe Lamoco, Port of Shadows, Daybreak, these three films with Jean Gabin, uh, really important, I think, in, in, the, in the development of noir. So, um, yeah, I think the, the, the conversation, the exchange between French cinema and uh, American cinema, and it goes back and forth. You know, right, over the exactly. Day. Yeah, yeah. Constant, constant. Yeah. You can see that really, especially with this example. It's brilliant because when you read about film noirs, I guess one of the first things you see is that it was influenced by European cinema, especially French cinema and German expressionism, that kind of stuff. And then Hollywood takes it during the war and makes this prototypical film noir, and then it goes back to France, where it again influences the films that are made there, which is just amazing to see that kind of, as you said, back and forth, back and forth. And not just, I mean, there are other, other countries, other European countries, and in Italian cinema, you know, there's a film called Ossessione, uh, or Obsession, it's a great film noir name, title, <laughs> uh, from 1942. Now, this film often comes up in, uh, in discussions as being the first neorealist film. Uh, the first, you know, a new type of cinema, taking cinema to the streets, showing poetry of the everyday uh, and um, showing what life was really like in, in Italy at the time, um, you know, moving away from what the fascists were doing, the, the, the obfuscation of the, of the fascist regime, etc. So this film, Ossessione, by Lucchino Visconti, is yeah, I mean it's it's I suppose it's, it is a realist film, but it's also a noir film, and it's a very 
grubby, <laughs> uh, lustful, uh, quite down and dirty noir. And it's quite subversive in its uh, gender representation as well. I mean, it's really interesting. The, the, and, and the way that you, the way, uh, way of looking at it is if you compare it with other versions or, uh, that, that were adapted from Postman Always Rings Twice, because Ossessione was adapted from that James M. Kane novel. Postman Always Rings Twice from, uh, what was it, the mid-30s? Uh, one of the most popular uh, hard-boiled you know, crime novels of that era. And the way that the... So the, the basic story is, and it's, it's the typical noir story, you have this drifter character uh, played by Massimo Girotti who arrives at this uh, roadside restaurant trattoria and he starts work as a handyman and he starts an affair with uh, the wife of the owner but it's the way that Visconti uh, films his his characters his mise-en-scene makes it quite singular certainly for the time so for instance the way that the the main character Gino is is first shown the first time we see him is from the gaze of the wife so it's from it's this very sexualized gaze uh which is something that you, know, you think 1942 oof, it's it's quite racy it's quite racy for that for that for that era and quite subversive uh and just things like that you know and and the way that the you know both main characters the two lovers you know these were two actors massimo girotti and clara calamai who were uh stars and they were quite big names in under the fascist re regime uh, so i think visconti really enjoyed you know getting them to play against type mm -hmm. you know so you have the you know, they both they do not look as they would look <laughs> as as they did look in earlier more polished uh, films it's amazing uh, to have that dichotomy though almost or like a scale almost right where you have those very polished film noirs and then very kind of yeah. grubby gritty but I, I quite like the grubby gritty ones as well just because they are I think they're so different especially those made in the 40s where you kind of when you think of Hollywood there were other films being made a lot of comedy especially in the 30s and a bit later on so to then you know we have this dark um kind of almost miserable type of film to, to come in <laughs> yeah. um yeah. it's it's quite a, a, a brilliant transition to see between i guess mm. classical and post-classical hollywood right and then just yes. in terms of if we go if we go later on and, and have a look at what other films are being made in the post-classical hollywood i mean the first one i can think of is chinatown which is the another brilliant yeah, sure. neo-noir yeah. film but then also you have remakes of uh, double indemnity which i think is also one of the best mm. classical film noirs and that's remade in uh, as Body Heat, which is very mm. kind of very 80s. I mean, it doesn't really look like a noir. It's the same story, but it's a yeah. very sexual kind of, you can tell that it's, <laughs> it was made in the 80s film. Sure. And then obviously films like Blade Runner, where, I mean, you know, it's not a noir, but yeah. you can see those aspects coming in. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think, you know, you, you fit upon a few of the of the classics of that era, you know, of the, of the new Hollywood cinema, um, where, as as I mentioned earlier, you've got the the 
censorship being loosened and there were certain topics that you could explore or something you could explore more explicitly. Uh, and Chinatown, yeah, I mean, the Polanski movie Chinatown is really, it's an homage, isn't it, to the noir of that era written by that great screenwriter, Robert Town, Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway. And um, as the villain, John Huston, the, the filmmaker John Huston, who himself had, you know, had form in, uh, in noir movies. I mean, he made The Asphalt Jungle, uh, another one, another film that for many is, is one of the best. But I mean, others from this era. So if we're talking about maybe the late 60s onwards, uh, the one that, you know, going back to, you know, seeing films on Late at Night, on BBC Two, Movie Drome. I remember one film called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, if, if people aren't familiar with that, I would really recommend seeking this out. It is uh, a film directed by Peter Yates, uh, and it stars Robert Mitchum. Now, Mitchum, another one of these big Hollywood stars, who had been in some of the golden age noir movies, like Out of the Past. Uh, and so, so Mitchum is in this film, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and it's set in Boston, and it's this very downbeat and very downbeat autumnal uh, feel. And it's, it's, it's about low level criminality. We're not talking about big gang bosses. It's, it's really at the bottom rung of, of criminality. And this over the hill character played by Mitchum, uh, you know, crumpled clothes, disheveled looking. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I just think it's, it's got such an extraordinary atmosphere mood to it there was another another film around that era you know you were talking about the 80s you know so if you move into the 80s there was a film called cutter's way by a czech director called uh, ivan passer and this has got jeff bridges and john hurd john hurd the dad from home alone <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's done other films obviously but he so John Hurd plays uh, a vet, so a Vietnam vet, um, clearly very much still struggling with PTSD, coming back from the war. And he has got it into his mind that there's a conspiracy uh, going on uh, and the, the murder of this, um, of this young woman. And, and so it's, it, it is, it's a neo-noir that I suppose fits in with some of these you know, yet another subgenre, you know, the, the, the paranoid thriller of the 60s and 70s. That's yet another subgenre. So it's a kind of, it blends the two, I suppose. So there's elements of, uh, of both uh, in there. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, that era, the new Hollywood, you know, they were able to go back and, and actually revisit some of those earlier films, like you say, Double Indemnity. You had new versions of things like Farewell, My Lovely. Uh, you had, uh, oh, there's Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. It's another Chandler one. So you know, they, they were able to go back and, and revisit these, um, these films and these novels, you know, because a lot of the classic noir pictures were from hardball fiction. And hardball fiction really is, a, you know, started it all, really. I was just thinking that as well when you were talking about um, just in terms of not necessarily a noir film but maybe some sort of inspiration but especially in terms of the crime and the kind of gangster 
type of film. I guess that's a completely different genre, but it's kind of related. Like I was thinking about Taxi Driver, for instance. I think that has very much those kind of noir vibe, really. I mean, if not, you know, aspects of it, then at least it kind of feels like that. And then certainly does. Right. So, I mean, if you look at, say, Taxi Driver, and if you wanted to do a checklist, <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got the urban setting, you've got the damaged character, you've got uh, this, and even down to the music, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and the use of music is also vitally important to, uh, to noir movie. And it's often, you often tend to associate it more with a jazz sound. And this is obviously the case with um, the Taxi Driver. You've got um, Bernard Herrmann, and I think it was Bernard Herrmann's last score i think it was not yeah i think it was and it's got that this beautiful sax melody and and if you take that score it just sounds like a it sounds like a 40s mm. film it sounds like a 40s score yeah. uh down the, the instrumentation the orchestration uh but yes i think you know if it, the the way that that jazz intersected with noir is is again another area to to be discussed and, and a lot of uh, big jazz names recorded scores for noir movies and uh, i think one one major uh, example is miles davis and he did mm. uh lift to the scaffold the film by louis mal and that was i think it was an entirely improvised score that he did um, and that was he recorded that when he was because he was living in paris at the time so we're talking 57 58 something like that uh so yeah i mean there's a lot to be said about how you know, music and jazz especially uh, intersects with, with noir. And voiceover, voiceover again with Taxi Driver. Yeah. It's a crucial part of it. And, you know, when we, when we think of voiceover, yes, the, there's often the, the, um, the cliche that, it's, that it tends to over-explain and it's a lazy technique, but I think done well, it really does add or can add a lot and when it doesn't when it doesn't just tell us what we already know what we see you know when it gives us some gives us something about the character psychology etc or if it undercuts the image if it goes against the image then it can be really interesting i think yeah and something that we did that we haven't mentioned really is is you know the the I think I mentioned at the very beginning, Ida Lupino, you know, and her and her role in, because, you know, women in film noir, and obviously, you know, with, with the femme fatale, you know, the figure of the femme fatale, such an important uh, noir figure. And most of, of noir films will, will have one in, in some way. Uh, and and some, of the, some of the best ones, I mean, Barbara Stanwyck, Barbara Stanwyck in, uh, in Double Indemnity, how can you go past, past, uh, Stanwyck, but but many others, you know, Rita Hayworth, Gilda. I mean, there's just just there's just so many. But behind the camera, you know, Lupino, one of one of the first um, women to make uh, a film noir, and this one, The Hitchhiker, from '53, uh, very lean, very tight uh picture and and that's also the thing with um with noir movies they're often they often are quite short punchy to the point you know you don't often get four hour three hour bloated. can you imagine yeah I, I mean i'm sure there are i'm sure there, <laughs> i'm sure there are but uh usually they are brisk you know sharp to the point affairs and uh 
Yeah, and certainly the, the Hitchhiker fits into that, you know, it's, and it's based on a true story about this escaped convict who took um, two friends prisoner and uh, he, he forced them to, uh, to drive on a desert in New Mexico. And uh, although it's, it's set mostly in exteriors, it's a very claustrophobic uh, film. And, uh, but, but, Lup but Lupino, she really made a, a big contribution, I think. To, yeah. the, to the development of, uh, of noir. And she was in several noir films herself as an actress, mm. you know. Uh, uh, High Sierra, for instance, you know, opposite mm. um, of Bogart. Mm. And uh, how many noirs did, uh, did Bogey take part in? <laughs> yeah, talk about The Hitchhiker. We actually did mention The Hitchhiker in one of our previous episodes when I spoke to um, Elisa. We just talked about the films that we watched over the lockdown. And it was like a double bill on movie. So it was Hitchhiker yes. and, and something else. And we both um, coincidentally watched it. Um, the way the camera puts you into the car with yeah. person plus the two mm. friends. It really takes you on a ride and you do feel so on edge. And it's such yeah. a short film compared to, as, as you said, the, the Yeah, but barely an hour, 70 minutes. I mean, it's really right? short. Yeah. But it is, it delivers what it's promising in a way, you know, and uh, yeah. it doesn't take much. The story isn't particularly elaborate. It's just three characters throughout the whole film, but it works wonders. I think, I think it's a brilliant yeah. film. And I think Lupino especially. Um, yeah, and she once again had form in this as, as a director because, you know, she had made, she had made films that were, I mean, perhaps they were not quite as, as Baroque as some noir films, but they certainly dealt with some issues, societal issues, societal problems, um, often quite serious uh, issues. Uh, and, and I suppose she did tend, you know, perhaps tended to get pigeonholed as social problem films. Mm -hmm. Um, but they certainly had a noir sensibility, and, and probably the Hitchhiker was, was the one that that was, you know, most obviously uh, categorizable as a, as a noir. You know? But I think, you know, we've not mentioned. I was just thinking of some directors that, we, that we've not mentioned, and, and how could we not mention the French director Jean-Pierre Melville? Jean-Pierre Melville and. You know, I'm actually writing about him just now. You know, I'm, I'm writing a, a <laughs> I'm writing a book on Army of Shadows. Uh, I mean, he is really one of the greats, and and uh, and a minimalist form of noir. Certainly, the later films, and he his was yeah. I mean, very fatalistic. I would say very fatalistic, like most great noir films are. You know, from Bob the Gambler. So Bob the Gambler from the mid 1950s. Uh, right through to the more mature films, uh, Le Samurai. And Le Samurai is one, you know, it's one of these movies that loads of directors talk about as being a massive influence and, you know, effortless, effortlessly cool, uh, very stripped back, uh, muted color palette. And the you know so i mean so many directors have talked about it from john woo to tarantino michael mann you know all manner of, of directors have discussed that uh so i think you know if you want to look at a, a filmmaker who has really engaged with uh with noir tropes you know who's taken uh noir from america and really worked with it and um i think melville is one to to go to he's definitely the you know, if not the go-to, I think one of the top go-to 
directors uh, for, for noir movies. He didn't just make these types of films. He, was also, he also made several very accomplished war, war movies as well. You know, we, we, I suppose we talked about American, European, uh, but looking beyond that, you know, if, you, if we look beyond that to, I don't know, say Japanese cinema or even Chinese cinema as well, uh, there was a recent uh, Chinese noir film, which I thought was terrific, uh, is by a filmmaker, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'll probably murder the pronunciation, Dayo Yinan, and the film's called The Wild Goose Lake, and... It's on Mubi, and I'd highly recommend seeking this out. I mean, if, if you're interested in noir, it's all about this, this criminal, this kind of mid-level gangster uh, in hiding. Mm. And beautifully shot. I mean, extraordinary use of color. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, so there's still, there's still noirs being made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. it's still, you know, the aesthetics of noir uh, still prove to be quite, quite influential, I would say. Mm. In I terms mean, of... The, the, there is a sorry. festival in San, San Francisco that's just about film noirs, and I think it's an oh, annual yeah. festival, and there's one in Italy as well. So it definitely is definitely. alive. It's not a, a dead yeah. <laughs> genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And online, I mean, you, know, you just go on Twitter, and, and I'll, you know, there's, there's things like Noirvember. Every November, you know, they, they do these, these things where they watch a noir day. Uh, if only we had time to watch and uh, I wish I had the time to do that <laughs> but you know I suppose they are quite short so you could you could, <laughs> you could yeah. Uh, yeah. how about yeah. if, if you really wanted to go and watch them though where would be your place to go because I think that's another thing I don't think film especially the 40s 50s ones right like, yes that's a good point that's a good in, point Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, if you look at some of the, so some of the main streamers, uh, I was having a look at Netflix and mm, not great, not great in terms of noir. There's a few, but not great. The two that I think have got the most are Amazon Prime and Mubi. Mm-hmm. And certainly Mubi have got a really good selection, really, really good selection. <clears throat> so um, if you've got a membership to, to Mubi, I think if you're a student, you get a Reduced. It used to be free for students, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it used to be free, but I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> oh, um, but it's still reasonably good. I mean, it's still much yeah. cheaper than some of the other streamers. So I think, yeah, Amazon Prime, and they've also got some really obscure ones, like ones that, yeah. I feel like if you want to expand your horizon in terms of film in general, maybe is the best option because... It yeah. serves you a selection of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily choose for yourself necessarily, or you would. I think you would just find it hard to put together a curated list of films the, the same uh, way yeah. that they do. But I think in this episode, I was kind of hoping we would find a new perspective on film noir. But I think it doesn't really matter if we find a new perspective on film noir, um, or if we just talk about it. Um, yeah. If if only you had the time to just watch them all which yes because, because there are so many of them so it's just this well of films yeah and and as we said earlier that there, there's been so much scholarship on it as well um so if, if it's an area that you are interested in it has been discussed from all angles you know from the philosophy angle from the gender angle you know from all manner of different approaches to it and, and i suppose you know the classic text you know if you wanted like that a classic text um there's the one very famous one by raymond board and pierre chaumenton 
just simply called A Panorama of American Film Noir. And this was from the mid-50s, but only fairly recently translated. So, I mean, it is available in a, in a, in a translation. And it's a really quite exhaustive uh, study of the noirs of that era, you know, so of the, between the 40s and, uh, and 50s. But, I mean, some other people like... Um, James Nearmore. James Nearmore is, is another uh, top scholar of, of noir. Uh, in fact, I, I'd recommend as, as a more accessible short entry, if you wanted just, just a, a, a short scholarly entry, there's his book, part, which is part of the very short introduction series by, um, I think it's Oxford Uni Press. Uh, and it's a couple of years old, I think 2019, uh, and it's a really accessible, but still quite rigorous and scholarly, short, slim volume on uh, on noir. And it, and it looks not just at, a, at American film, but um, internationally as well. Uh, so, you you know, if you are, if it's something you are interested in, there's no shortage <laughs> of films. There's no shortage of, uh, you know, writing on it. So, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, and I just remembered that um, when I was looking into this, um, I actually found a guy on Instagram who does, who kind of takes these film noir, neo-noir inspired photos of New York. Um, and I'll pop it in the mm. link in the description um, of the podcast. So whoever wants to go and check him out, um, they can go and do that. But it's this kind of foggy, a lot of sil silhouettes uh, type pop types Fabulous. of photos. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's just, you know, cause he's still, it, you know, it's not like the film noir environment doesn't exist anymore. It's just that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, you make a good point in, in how noir has permeated into the other arts as well. You know, how it's you've got influence on photography and still photography and under the art, music as well. You know, yeah. so it's, it's not something that is limited to just cinema. I mean, it's, it's afterlife, the legacy uh, of noir continues and, uh, across the arts, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pasquale, again, for your amazing insight into yet another topic which is amazing so thank you so much for coming on and hopefully we'll have you on another point with some other exciting topic excellent thank you so much for having me kat thank you <laughs> thank you